Uninformed immigrants are at a huge disadvantage in court, in financial and legal matters, and also sometimes in life. Well, what can we do about it? I'll tell you what. We can train, teach, inspire, and empower immigrants to maximize their lives regardless of their immigration status. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. I am your immigration lawyer and host, Otis Landerholm, and this is the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. On this episode, we're going to see an episode of the Empowered Immigrant Live, which is a webcast that I do every Thursday on Facebook and on YouTube for the immigrant community. If you have any immigrant questions or immigration questions, feel free to join us on Thursday for the next one. And for now, enjoy the episode. Here we are. All right, hello. Let me go live on Instagram also. Hello, everyone. Hello and welcome. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for being here. It is the 17th of March of 2022. I'm so happy uh, to be with you here on another episode of the Empowered Immigrant Live. Here talking about the Empowered Immigrant Live. My name is Otis Landerholm. I am your immigration lawyer and host. All right, I'm the founding attorney at Landerholm Immigration APC, where we fight for your American dream. I am a certified specialist in immigration law here in the United States, certified by the State Bar of California, this wonderful state that I live in. So welcome and thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for those of, us, those of you who are with me on YouTube. Thanks to those on Facebook. Thanks to those on Instagram. Thanks to those on TikTok. Hello and welcome everybody. All right. I love you. I'm, I'm grateful that you're here with me. It's amazing. All right. So today, the theme that I want to talk about, it's like the theme out there, right? It's, it's what do you do if your case is moving too slow? Right? What do you do if your case is moving too slow? And so, yeah, that's the question we'll answer here today. And welcome again. Thank you so much for being here. Remember, at the Empowered Immigrant Live, we are here to train, teach, inspire, and empower immigrants to make the most out of immigration law and to make the most out of their lives. All right? So our theme today is, hey, is your case moving too slow? Like, if so, what to do about it? What do you do if your case is outside of normal processing times? And my question for you is, hey, do you want to get a green card this year? Do you want to win asylum this year? Do you want to, you know, defend your case or come out of the shadows this year? If so, go for it. Go for it. I would love to help you with that. If that is something that you want, I'd love to strategize it. I'd love to explain your options if you have options. And all it just starts with a phone call, right? So thanks to everyone who asked their questions. The truth is, is I don't know if I've received questions. Uh, I'll, I'll follow up if we have. But if you have a question today, send it to me. All right? I'm like, I'm like wide open today. So send me, send me whatever questions you have. As always, we've got 30 minutes to discuss this topic in English. And then we'll do this episode in the amazing language of Espanol. We'll do it in Spanish in 30 minutes. 
So stay with me. Si usted habla español, que venga en 30 minutos y ya lo hacemos en español, okay? So thank you. And let's get to it. Let's get to it. As always, as always, when we start out, it's like we got to start with the basics. Um, I also want to explain a little bit of news because there's a little bit of like a, a, hey, what's going on to this topic that you just got to be aware of. For example, did you know that USCIS, United States Citizenship and Immigration Service, has a larger backlog right now than it has ever had in all of U.S. history? Currently, there are more than 8 million cases that are just pending, that are just waiting, that are just sitting on some desk waiting for some officer to, like, adjudicate it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Eight million document, documented file applications just sitting, waiting for a decision to be made. How crazy, right? And that's where we are. That's where we are right now. And I don't know if you saw it, but there is some news about it, all right? There was an omnibus $1.5 trillion spending bill, all right? You might have been following politics, all right? And, you know, this bill is going to send some money to USCIS. This is our tax dollars, all right? Spending some money to USCIS so that they can hire more officers, which they desperately need, to get the ball rolling already so that we can address those 8 million cases that are currently pending sitting on somebody's desk and that somebody freaking quit because of COVID or whatever, whatever reason, because of the Trump administration was not very welcoming to immigration officers, right? In fact, I know immigration officers that quit during the Trump administration, so go figure. All right, and so there you go. That's happening. The ball will start to get rolling again because we've got a better administration in place that actually knows how to hire and recruit good officers that are here to help people, right? And so that's happening. And I also want to share, right? This is like personal. This is like hot off the press. This is in my firm, all right? This is in my firm. My firm is like, we've got our, we got our fingers on the pulse of what's happening with immigration law. So you got to understand, this week, my office received six different interviews scheduled, all right? Four of those six are scheduled on the same day at the same time, all right? Think about this. So my firm is going to have four attorneys representing four different clients at the exact same moment, simultaneously in San Francisco, all right? Like, boom, we'll get four of those applications done same day, same time. Why do I share that? It's some kind of, it's like, it's like a sign, in my opinion. It's a sign that things are starting to pick up a bit, people. Things are, like, that never happened during the pandemic. That never happened during the Trump administration. That's a sign that things are starting to move, all right? And if they continue, or if they even increase further, then okay, we'll be in action, all right? We'll be in action. We'll have a lot of cases, a lot of work coming through. 
So anyway, I wanted to share that. Some other news, all right, some other news. Congress right now is evaluating another proposal. You could check it out. It's called the Relief Act, all right, and it's there to relieve all the backlogs, all right? If it would pass, it would speed up green cards and the green card application process for a lot of people. Check it out, the Relief Act, YouTube it, you know? I'll do a presentation about it um, pretty soon, actually. Um, and anyway, so there's, there's good news happening. And so, okay, if your case is one of the 8 million, and if your case is outside of regular processing times, you know, what do you do? And that's really the purpose of my theme today. And before we get into that, we got to talk about the basics. All right, we got to talk about the basics. And before I do that, I want to shout out to my people here on Instagram. I see Aliyah Faruqi. I see you on Instagram. And Iris... Iris MB, I see you on Instagram. I see folks joining us on YouTube. Uh, thanks to everyone on TikTok and Facebook as well. Hello. Thank you all so much for being here. All right. Thank you all so much for being here. Again, my name is Otis Landerholm. I'm the founding immigration attorney at Landerholm Immigration APC, where we fight for your American dream. And today we're going to be talking about what do you do if your case is behind schedule? What if your case is moving too slow? What do you do? All right, so what do you do? Let's answer it, all right? First of all, first of all, you got to go to USCIS.gov. Should I repeat that? USCIS.gov, G-O-V, all right? And you got to click where it says check processing times, all right? Now, when you do that, have your receipt notice in front of you because you can get the information you need on the, on the receipt notice. You enter the form type that you, for the application that you've filed, your N-400 if it's a citizenship application, your I-485 if it's an adjustment of status application for a green card, all right? Whatever the type of application is, you enter that form type and you enter the service center within USCIS that's adjudicating your case and then you can check, is your case still within normal processing times? Because here's the deal. If your case is still within normal processing times, then in my experience, don't bother doing an inquiry. Your inquiry will be denied. All right? And check the processing times because those processing times are taking way longer than they ever used to take. Okay, I'd be, happy to, I'd be happy to look at some. I wasn't kind of prepared to really look at some, but I'd be happy to do that uh, with you right here, right now, if you'd like. I see somebody asking me, what's the processing time for citizenship applications? Great question, and I'll get you the answer. First, let me go through my spiel, and then I'll, I'm pulling up the website, USCIS.gov right now. I'll get you anybody who's watching me, who's got a question about a form type you've submitted, send me the form type and send me the service center, and I'll tell you right now the processing times. All right? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it says. I'll look it up for you. And so do it. Send those in. If your case is still within normal processing times as USCIS publishes them, then don't bother doing an inquiry. It will be denied. But if your case is outside of processing times, 
then I and my office recommends doing the following four steps. Okay, what are the following four steps? The inquiry and follow-up and USCIS accountability process. All right, look, the government, you got to hold them accountable. All right, it's just like in life, you, you, you file something, you try something, you go for something. And now to receive that benefit is dependent on somebody else. You got to hold them accountable, whatever it is. So this is the way we hold them accountable. Step one, all right, if you're outside of normal processing times, this is the way our office does it. Different offices do it different ways. This is the, this is the way my office does it. First step, all right, you go into USCIS.gov, all right, you check underneath where it says case management tools, all right, and you click where it says inquire about a case outside of normal processing times. All right. When you do that, you're doing it right online. You're submitting an online inquiry. You'll need to put in your case information, form number, receipt number, your name, your email address, your information, your all the information of the applicant. I just said it, but I'll say it again. You need to put in your email address as well. You need to click the button that says submit. All right. And you're going to need to have your receipt notice on hand to do that. So you need to, you know, receipt notices are critical. You need to do that. All right. So, uh, you know, and all the information that you're going to need is right there on your receipt notice. All right. Typically then in our office, we give the government 90 days to respond when we go through that electronic inquiry process. If there's no response in 90 days, what do we do? We send another one. All right. Hey, immigration, have you, don't forget about us. We're still here. We want a decision. Got it? We send another one. If there's still no response after the next one, we escalate. We escalate and we go to an office. It's called the office of the USCIS Ombudsman. All right. The Ombudsman is a office, they're kind of like a watchdog. It's another government agency. They're not within USCIS. Their sole job is to help people hold USCIS accountable. They're called the USCIS Ombudsman. To do an Ombudsman request, which is what we call it, all right, there's a specific form. It's called DHS Form 7001, 7001, all right? And it's a complex form. You'll probably want help with it, all right? Our office helps people do this, okay? The USCIS Ombudsman, this is a separate agency. They can hold USCIS accountable. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's always worth trying. And we've seen it work, all right? We've seen it work. That's step three. Step four is if you still have no response after that, now you want to talk with your lawyer. Hopefully you've been talking with your lawyer already, but talk with your lawyer. Sometimes there are ways to sue the government. We call that a mandamus action, all right? Or you could refile an ombudsman request, um, and sometimes there's nothing else that can be done. you got to just, yeah, essentially refile the ombudsman request. Um, that's it. Those are the four steps. Let me repeat them, all right? Step one you go and you submit an electronic inquiry 
where it, on USCIS.gov where it says click to inquire about a case outside of normal processing times. All right, that's step one. Step two is you wait 90 days, and if no response, you submit another one. Step three is you go through the ombudsman request process, which is done on DHS Form 7001, 7001, all right? And step four, if all of that doesn't move your case forward, all right, talk to your lawyer, think about filing a federal mandamus lawsuit to sue the government to cause them to force the government to make a decision on your case. That is the process, all right? That is the process. Hope that was helpful, all right? The bottom line that you need to be aware of is, hey, there is a process. So, you know, and you want to keep the government accountable. You have the right to follow up with them. You have the right to keep your case moving forward, all right? And so if you need help with doing that, you have the, you know, I mean, my office is here. Give us a call. We'd love to help you. And you have the right to get help to go through that process. All right? You got to be aware. You got to be aware. All right, so I'm getting some questions. I'm getting some questions, which I appreciate. Um, the first question I see is, what's the current processing time for citizenship applications? So thank you for asking that. Let me get you the answer. So I'm logging on to USCIS.gov right now. I'm clicking on Check Processing Times. I'm clicking on the N-400 form. And now what I've got to know to give you a good answer is I've got to know which is your field office. Like, where is your N-400 waiting? All right. So Miss, or it's Faruqi is the person that asked this question on Instagram. So hello. Great to see you. All right. And... Uh, and uh, what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to hit the San Francisco field office just to tell you what it is. And if you have a different field office, feel free to text me or write me or whatever, and I can check that out. So the San Francisco field office right now is saying their estimated time range is 14 and a half to 19 months for a citizenship process. That's at the San Francisco field office. On today's date, March 17th, 2022. Got it? So uh, 14 and a half to 19 months. There you go. Um, if you scroll down on the same page, it says receipt date for a case inquiry is any case that was submitted before August 29th of 2020. If your case was submitted before August 29th, 2020, you can submit a case inquiry um, because your case is outside of normal processing times. That's at the San Francisco field office on today's date, March 17th, 2022. All right, all right. I see a question uh, from Hika. Hika, thank you for asking your question. You asked about an I-918 in Vermont, all right? So the tricky thing about I-918s is they actually don't... Uh, let me see if Vermont will say anything. U visas are a little different. They typically don't... Um, give you the right uh, uh, thing. Right now, they say waitlist determination is 60 and a half to 61 months long, right? Um, uh, five years, right? Um, and so uh, to get on the waitlist, but that's not the full process. Really, if you want, U visas are tricky. All right, U visas are tricky, and it depends on lots of different factors. U visas take a long, 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 long time 
And so they've kind of stopped publishing the U visa wait list because it's so ridiculously enormous. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, where, uh, that's where they are. Um, and so, and if you want help with really calculating when your case was filed and how long it'll take, I've got other videos uh, related to the U visa process. I could uh, easily um, share that with you, right? Or you could find it on our YouTube channel. All right, Victoria Perez, hello, thank you, all right? Uh, you say, hello, what happens after an appeal is granted by EOIR? And, and you're talking about a cancellation of removal case. Well, that's a great question. That's a great question. First of all, if an appeal is granted, first of all, huge congratulations to you. That's like a, that's like a, that's a win, all right? If you win a case on appeal, that's a win. Now, when that happens, the BIA can do one of two things, all right? They can grant the appeal and they can remand it back to the immigration judge for further proceedings. And now you've got more hearings in front of a judge. That sometimes happens. The other thing that potentially could happen is the BIA could just straight up grant your application. That's a little bit less common, but it theoretically sometimes does, I mean, it does sometimes happen, okay? So the BIA could just say, hey, your case is done. Your application for cancellation of removal is now approved, all right? Or they could say you're now in the wait list for cancellation because cancellation does have a wait list. And, you know, and that might be what happened in your case. And so the, the best way to really answer it is uh, read the order approving your appeal carefully and if you have questions about it review it with an attorney and we could say you know really what happened um, and if they've remanded it then you'll get a hearing notice you know to come back to immigration court uh, to explain further things in front of the judge either way though that's a win that's a that's no more deportation order your now appeal was granted and now you have another shot to win your case in front of the judge um, and so good job. All right. The last question I see, if you've got a question, if you're listening to it, send, uh, if you're listening to me, then send it in. The last question that I see comes from Jose Perez. All right. And you, you ask Jose, you ask, can you talk a little bit about the 212H waiver when it applies? Hey, thank you for asking that question. That's a great question. I talked a little bit about the 212H waiver on Tuesday in our live um, our live training. Here's the thing, all right? If someone has a criminal conviction, all right? If someone has a criminal conviction, and if it's, say, a, the legal term is a crime involving moral turpitude, okay? Certain, quote-unquote, crimes involving moral turpitude. Well, what the heck is that? There's lots of different convictions that someone might have on their record that make a person, quote-unquote, inadmissible, okay? Well, there are arguments, there, are, uh, there is a way to ask for a waiver of criminal-based inadmissibility grounds, okay? Just like there is a way to waive fraud-based immigration grounds, just like there's a way to waive unlawful presence-based immigration inadmissibility grounds, just like there's a way to waive alien smuggling, quote-unquote, inadmissibility grounds, Criminal immigration grounds sometimes can also be waived. 
And uh, Jose, to answer your question is, that is what we call a 212H waiver. All right, section 212 is the section that lists all the inadmissibility grounds. Section 212H explains how to waive the crime involving moral turpitude inadmissibility ground. Okay? Hope that was helpful. Hope that wasn't too confusing. Uh, basically, sometimes the 212H waiver is a game changer. Sometimes it can save the day. All right? And yeah, you've got to show extreme hardship to a U.S. citizen spouse or parent, or you've got to show that more than 15 years have happened since the conviction or since the act that led to the conviction, um, one or the other. I, I need to really look at the code one more time to give you the precise uh, way that the, the law was written there. But anyway, 212H is great. Um, we have fought it. We have won it. It's not super common, um, but it's, it certainly comes in handy uh, when we need it. Okay? Awesome. All right. Well, hey, perfect. It's perfect timing. It's 2.32, so it's time for me to wrap up. Thank you all so much for being here, everyone. Thank you all so much for asking the questions, those who asked their questions. I really appreciate it. If you still have a question or if you've submitted your question and you need me to answer it, I still will. I love doing that. Uh, to see those questions, please subscribe to our channel in YouTube. All right, click the notifications bell and you'll get a notification when we upload uh, additional videos um, to our YouTube channel. You'll also get additional legal updates and news as we, as we have those. And if you have an immigration case, right, if you have an immigration case, hey, we're just a phone call away, everybody. We love, we love helping people through the immigration process. That is what we are here to do. And so if you have an immigration case, hey, please give us a call. We are here to help. We would love to help you. Thank you all so much for being here. My name is Otis Landerholm. I'm the founding, founding attorney here at Landerholm Immigration APC, where we fight for your American dream. And I'll see you next week on another episode of the Empowered Immigrant Live. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. If you like what you heard and if you want to learn more, please go to landerhomeimmigration.com forward slash podcast.